you are listening to the empowering indian expats podcast if you are an indian living abroad feeling stuck in an average 9 to 5 or a job or business that's not helping you reach your full potential this is the podcast to tune in where you will find your role models and learn from their dream struggle victory stories this is your host ehsan ali a long time it professional living in sydney australia who has made it his mission to find and unpack the stories, the strategies and life lessons of successful and inspiring Indian expats to help you and I reach our full potential. I'm very excited to talk to today's guest Irfan Malik. Irfan is a dynamic senior business leader who has founded multiple technology companies. Uh, today he is actively involved in the startup ecosystem and advises governments and corporates on innovation. I'm curious to know how an IT programmer became a serial entrepreneur, uh, the challenges and learnings and successes he had in his entrepreneurial journey. I also want to know what prompted him to set up a startup accelerator. So without further ado, let's talk to Irfan and learn about transitioning into entrepreneurship and building companies. Hi Irfan, welcome to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast. Thank you, Ehsan. And as your name says, I'm really uh, humbled uh, uh, to have come on board and really uh, be part of this journey and the story that we are trying to curate. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bahut and uh, and namaskar. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a full Indian. So um, Irfan, just to give a background, uh, I typically cover the story of indian expats who have uh, either done really well in their corporate career not in terms of designation or money they make but it's more about they did something beyond just making a living something worth um educating empowering other indian expats or somebody who's transitioned into entrepreneurship and done something good that we can learn from and when i look at your journey i see both i see you you did very well in corporate career and then at some point in time or maybe throughout the corporate career you were already transitioning into entrepreneurship that's what i felt and now you are a full fledged entrepreneur and you are involved in a lot of community work and you are giving back a lot so i'm i'm very keen to learn from your story get some insights for myself and for the audience sharing my story and uh, hopefully uh, that inspires people but but definitely i want to see that i leave a legacy as well and that's the, all about the values that you have leaving a great legacy so i see you you did your engineering in india and worked for a couple of years and then uh, you moved to australia early on i think it was early 2000 yes. uh, so yes. what did so, you yeah so what did you do in india in the work that you did so i mean i a bit of background i come from a large educational uh, institution group background industrialist background My father was a former vice chancellor of a university he would he spent a lot of time in delhi one of the earliest padmashris from coming from kerala but i grew up in delhi so i always had a cosmopolitan view you know what do we say you know unity in diversity kind of a view that we are you know a global citizen that, that was ingrained in me right from uh, my childhood and always that got me aspire to be going outside india or be involved and engaged with for a global play so obviously after my engineering uh, i had a few stints in the us with the ge and a few others but one of the things which we stayed away and again even while i was at my uni college i was taking the leadership into various you know college activities but also really facilitating the campus interviews engaging with various it companies those days it was a boom 
And I could see what was happening in the U.S. as well, both East Coast, but more West Coast. So my stint during the U.S. in New York and in the West Coast, I really wanted to get to be part of that whole wave that was happening. But one of the trips, you know, one of the pre-sales gigs that we were involved in technology, and we, in fact, part of our early, you know, experience was with Sakim those days, the heydays of Sakim. And through two of my uh, colleagues, um, we decided we want to set up our offshore development company, just as, uh, you know, everyone uh, aspires. Obviously, we had seen the growth of Infosys, uh, Wipros, and uh, TCS, and uh, Sakim. But again, we uh, felt that there was a niche opportunity for us to service perhaps the tier two, tier three market as well, which was again opening up. Long of the short, I decided I'll come to Australia. One of my uh, mates was in US and we had another partner of ours in Chennai doing the offshore development, a guy who was very like a technical architect. We were more of a technical sales kind of guy. So though I come from a strong uh, electronics, telecommunication and software engineering background, always aspired that I could, you know, more work towards IT and technology as an enabler and how do we drive that adoption. So I had a bit of a sea change moving from New York to Newcastle into Australia. That was my first move, a big move. And one of the reasons I loved uh, Newcastle, apart from being a great uh, city north of Sydney, beautiful, you know, uh, you know, the Hunter Valley, the whole vineyard, you know, and the people are, as well in a beautiful university. So all the- so How did you move it? You, did, you applied for your master's here or how did you move? Yeah, so obviously I moved here and then I, we set up a, a company as well, uh, Parallel. So that was way back early, partnering with one of the local companies, which were into accounting. And we set up a company where I was focusing on digital or those days it was website development, database development, early days. In fact, we even had some mobile development using Palm OS as well. And that was kind of our foray. And then I also got into the university to do my MBA master's as well. Uh, Let me understand this. It's quite interesting. So looks like in very early days of career, just a couple of years into it, you and your friends uh, looked at all these uh, mushrooming companies, mushrooming, making it big, and you wanted to do that. And for whatever reason, you you decided to move to Australia. And in here, your intention was to set up the business. But at the same time, you needed maybe the kind of visa. And for that, you did your master's or master's and business both was uh, on the cards. Well, both, both was on the cart, so it was parallel. So I was uh, running the business as well as uh, doing masters. In fact, I also had a stint teaching, uh, you know, undergrads in uh, management and marketing as well. So that was something which, because I was really passionate, and this is my uh, in my blood, one foot in the uh, university. That's something which I've grown up, you know, growing up in a university environment. I love the University of Newcastle environment, the whole campus environment. And, you know, interacting with students and the whole culture was quite, you know, knowledge oriented, bringing outside in as well. And that's where I was chosen um, as someone who could represent industry, the real practical industry, uh, as well as and bring some best practices to the actual curriculum as well. And I was kind of a conduit between the university and also uh, the industry. In fact, I played uh, quite a few roles there to facilitate grants as well, you know, between the university industry partnership as well. So we definitely love that bit, mm. both doing MBA as well as teaching undergrads, as well as running my own business. In mm. fact, I remember running around between some of these appointments. And I remember because I had my teaching classes in the Orimba campus in Central Coast towards evening six. And I, had, I used to have meeting till four or five. And I used to drive and also, you know, change my teaching, uh, you know, attire. <clears throat> while you know my car was like a dressing room as well you know 
switch on, put on a jacket, you know, change your attire, and then you're ready for, you know, teaching students and stuff. So again, the students were, some of them were much more elder to me as well. So it was more, you know, engaging them and facilitating a conversation. So I get, uh, I get two things here, uh, Irfan. Uh, one is uh, your interest in getting involved in a number of activities, which, which is, it's not just about you. So in college, in India as well, you were involved in, you know, talking to the companies, bringing them for campus interviews and so on and so forth. Uh, you did the same thing back here uh, when you were in university. And I'm guessing because you were doing all these things, you were able to find your first potential customers as well because you yeah. were getting involved in things. So that, that's a good message. Like, you know, just you, you could just study and get score or uh, you could get involved in a way you build your network and that will yeah. help you whatever way. Either you want to go on the business route or you want to build your career. Because unless somebody is willing to sponsor you in some way, it's very difficult to really find the right place. This is where I want to share some nuggets here and some words uh, which I tend to use, but I, I mean by this. And I've lived through this. One strong word is leverage. Leverage. Absolutely. Leverage your network. Absolutely. Your, I mean, I've been a groomed part of the Rotary International Movement. So cool. as an interactor, Rotaractor and Rotarian. So there again, there's a beautiful network of people in community and business who've been successful and they connect as well. So various, you know, on a personal front, but also on a business front. So I've leveraged that. The Hunter Tech, which is again a, a consortium there we had in uh, Newcastle, I leveraged that. And that kind of opened up my first business partner was a local right. Aussie who was into accounting, but he had an opportunity, you know, to leverage my skills mm -hmm. into technology and the whole building on that broader portfolio. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things. Second is synergies. Synergy. I'm sure, I mean, I know, I know that there's all the competitive landscape or uh, there are kind of crossovers with various companies, but I always look for synergies. I don't look at competition. I look at synergies. Potentially, there's a way that I can add value to them or they can add value to us. So that's something which uh, are two strong words, leverage and synergies. And that kind of drove me as well, even initially growing my client base out of Newcastle and which grew into Sydney as well. You know, just we were servicing small, medium scale enterprises, you know, small real estate companies, vineyards there, you know, some manufacturing companies, small time manufacturing companies who have struggled to have their field force, sales force team out on board and then how to sync that data. Those simple things, which we could see there was a problem and opportunity to address. So that again, is when you look at, you know, a, a solution again, rather than jumping into a solution, you look at the problem, what is the opportunity to address and how can you build something which is fit for purpose? So fit always that's purpose. again been my undercurrent that, you know, that you don't do a Rolls-Royce solution, which is going to cost uh, more and, you know, not compatible. Just look at fit for purpose. And the other thing which I've always, uh, you know, believed in is buy before build. I mean, you time is too short. You can't, if it is not your core area of your IP or a strength, you don't, you know, build, you buy or you leverage and you know why before build, build build you say meaning sell before uh, you build yeah exactly i mean essentially uh, essentially you work leverage some other experts rather than you doing on it on your own you right. leverage expert bring those uh, experts with you and then try and uh, resolve uh, you know uh, uh, yeah, resolve so those, i, uh, I hear loud and clear entrepreneur irfan talking uh, so let's get into your professional the the corporate career in australia you know you after running this business, I see that you work as a, as a software development manager and a few other roles uh, with yeah. financial services. So why was that while you were so an entrepreneur? Think, uh, 
so this was again extension of my you know IT solution provider. In those days, we never called ourselves as a startup or a, a entrepreneur. It was still an IT company, you know. So we were an SME at those those days. You know, I'm talking about 2003, 2004. And my clientele, as it grew into you know Sydney, and one of my clients became AMP Capital, AMP, AMP Capital, which is uh, one of the leading financial services. This is an age-old company, you know, 150 plus years company very rigid, very structured, you know, right from the business processes and the solutions as well. So that's where the whole term people process technology kind of got, you know, I got exposure to. And I was obviously brought in very tactically for large data warehousing, you know, enterprise uh, business. In so did you have, uh, while you were running the business, did you have experience in data warehousing? Yeah. So my, I, I come from a core yeah, data base management and data science background. I mean, I evolved that. That's one thing which was core. And we also went into web and digital, but we had done a lot of database management and mobile development as well. So that was where my expertise there kind of was aligned to what they were doing. They were running a transformation program, both from a data perspective as a corporate and enterprise, but also from a digital engagement of end customers as well. Uh, They were going through a major transformation. I just plugged in there and then that's just uh, scaling through um, uh, organization. They obviously saw the leadership potential in me. And I was coached. I was groomed as a strength-based leader within the rank and file of AMP. And of course, uh, these were, again, days of AMP. And I had some amazing, uh, whilst it was a, I mean, corporate uh, career. And there are some lessons learned from, from me, which I want to share. And again, please, this is my own perspective. Absolutely. I spent nearly 10 years with AMP. Uh, various roles uh, at various levels, various programs, but also ran, uh, and that was my kind of peak of my career, you know, from 23 to, you know, whatever, 33 years of age, that 10 years where you have a lot of energy, you have a lot of passion, and you are able to do a lot more things. So I was obviously not only doing my core program, you know, programs that I was running, the whole the transformational programs that I was running, but I was also driving entrepreneurship. We were driving innovation within the organization. And again, this is not something which is accidental. It was, again, groomed. I was chosen and someone who inspires even now and who kind of really shaped my journey and inspiration for even launching in Q uh, was someone who was the director of innovation at AMP, Annalie Killian. I want to name her. She's you know amazing person. I mean, she introduced herself as uh, you know a, a catalyst for magic. That's how she introduced. She never used to like calling herself director of innovation, but she was indeed. And those, those are the things which I want to see that people engage and connect with people who could inspire and shape some of the things in the career. So mm. I was shaped, my career uh, from there was shaped by some of the people I met at AMP, some of the people I've worked and we did some amazing stuff. We ran the whole Innovate program, which was in, internal um, innovation program where we used to, you know, engage with various divisions within AMP, various business IT, all the teams to really come up with some great ideas internally, process improvement, you know, experience improvement. And then we used to nurture, you know, we used to ask them to like those ideas. So that if you had 20 likes within, you know, across the division, we could, you know, fund them for 5,000 to develop that idea further, like an MVP. Mm. And then also take it to get broader support from business leaders, legal team, and also the how we can shape. And at the end of the year, there was a large uh, chunk of fund, about 20, 25K. So that could be developed and potentially that could become an innovative product or solution offering right. from AMP um, as well. So there's a lot of things uh, that came up. And there's one thing which I want to mention, Amplify. That was an amazing thing that again, Annalie curated, which is one of the best 
and first corporate led business innovation festival and we have some... attended one of them yes yeah and we had some amazing global thought leaders come there and you know and they kind of inspired this was like bringing outside into really spark of innovation within the organization i met sophia i met sophia in uh, one of those yeah so we had some amazing uh, people i mean global thought leaders who come and that again all sparked off that innovation and i always had a uh, entrepreneurial mindset but again tapping into uh, leveraging innovation that all transformation happened while i was uh, in uh, amp the, the other flip side was again that's again a flip side i would say is that i was too close i was too internal with uh, amp and i felt this was my life and my company and i, I probably spent uh, close to 10 15 hours a day you know there it was more than just my work it was not just you know my tick in the box work it was more than i was giving so passionately back to amp and maybe uh, that's a reflection i mean I, i gained a lot i, I mean as i said i was uh, coached uh, as well and some of the key learnings was i mean as you want to grow through the ladder up within a corporate you know you need to, and these are some things which uh, you don't hear from uh, various uh, management schools you need to be able to empower your team i mean i was uh, known as one of the great you know one of the uh, you know, someone who has been groomed to be a leader I used to so I, I, would, I, in a way. I just want to ask a question here, Irfan. When you say yeah. I was coached, I was groomed. Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? Like, did they give you a coach, or the the head of innovation was coaching and mentoring you, or what was it all yeah. about? So again, they had a kind of a three sixty view. We had a structured uh, leadership program again, okay. which had every month you had various programs where you were coached. Even in fact, I went to a NIDA National Institute of Design and Arts. for a training around you know presenting and even carrying through yourself in large uh, gatherings and stuff so i went to a uh, you know it was pro- properly coached there but also had the right mentors you know and these were three levels as well i mean again one of the things insights i want to share is for you to grow through the ladder you have to spend at least 60% of your time managing up and the 40% with your team and yourself your uh, peers you have to pick the right team where you can trust empower and delegate because you wouldn't have time to deal with the project you're running multiple five six projects you wouldn't have the time to deal with all of them and still being there with the ceo or uh, the directors to build that relationship because you want to grow as well and no, uh, i mean really long or short you know ultimately you you have there is a potential but transforming the potential into outcome of your growth you need to have that relationship and that engagement definitely well. people definitely. need to see you that they can trust you and you will deliver so you got to be out there managing up as well so those are some uh, was... great insights but one more thing i want to share is my lessons learned as well you know because i had a large digital team and we uh, it was a financial services uh, institution so we were certain teams were working round the clock as well and again we were all passionate we wanted to make sure those uptime was there and was uh, you know great experience and all but sometimes we took it a bit more you know seriously i suppose there were certain small issues which happened in any it systems and we used to jump at it you know try and resolve overnight or over the weekend and all and i had some experiences where some of, in fact i remember one of the my team lead said do we really need to do this on the weekend is it end of the world and that really shook me wow it doesn't i mean people have their family they have commitments and all do i get them to compromise that and fix one um, data issue which is not caused any financial implications just visually it's not uh, clear so those kind of really sparked off you know you got to really evaluate also put yourself in the others uh, shoes as well whether or not this is 
end of the world? I mean, this is a question I ask and we need to ask. Well, we naturally, uh, you know, with our energy and passion, we jump in and, you know, we want to, uh, you know, resolve this before it uh, creates any noise. But we really need to ask those questions and prioritize ourselves as well. And where that work-life balance is very important. In fact, I struggled. Honestly, I struggled because I was too in it, too passionate about it. And I, in fact, part of my coaching was how do I do my work-life balance better? And that's something which I continue to be challenged. But of course, COVID was a good, you know, excuse to kind of reflect on that as well. But there are so many lessons learned in the corporate. I've made some of the best relationships, engagement within the industry, but also outside the industry as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, you covered it really well, Irfan. You also uh, talked about your own learning and the 60%, 40% was quite a revelation. Uh, the percentage may vary, but the key message there is... Uh, you just can't work hard uh, unless yeah. you, and when the word that you use is upward management, other way of looking at it is uh, if you're not connected with a senior leadership, you're not really close to the vision or the direction of the organization. Very true. And if you don't have that, how can you empower your team and get yeah. aligned with the overall vision? You're just being a worker. you know. Mm. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And a lot of professionals do that mistake. So thanks for that. Yeah, and then again, I, I definitely want to give that uh, a message, clear message. And the other thing is, again, I had a 10-year stint, which is whole one. I mean, having exposure into different areas or different uh, organizations uh, is something which, I mean, you tend to be working with a company you love for a long period. But early stages, it is okay to explore. And if at all, you've got a side gig uh, with, you know, entrepreneurship pathways, then that's even better. So, yeah, let's jump into entrepreneurship now. So, now... uh... If I understand right, based on what I discussed with you and I saw on the profile, you are doing three things. One is, of course, you have a business that you started long back and it has evolved. It's a well-structured, well-oiled machine that's running. Then you came up with an accelerator and an ecosystem for helping startups grow, which is where I have keen interest in knowing a bit more about it. And then you are also president of AIBCA, which is Australia India Business Council. Yeah, Council. So I want to uh, quickly uh, run through your the well-oiled machine. Give us a little bit insight of what have you done to create a well-oiled machine because you don't need to really worry about how do I put the bread on the table. So that gives you this uh, freedom to explore and do a number of things. I mean, that's my thinking. If I'm wrong, let me know. Exactly, exactly. What did so you do to set up a business? Uh, of yeah, that a key message, yeah, that's a key message. As you are a migrant, you want to make sure that you're not worrying about the bread on the table and the oxygen part. So you want to build an entity which is able to run or get you that income as well, but also continues to grow. And of course, it's not that I've uh, you know, uh, forgotten about it. I do spend some time where we're thinking about how do we grow? How do we bring, you know, so we started off with the web and uh, database development evolved into mobile applications. And we did some amazing work for even for, you know, the current premier as well uh, here in New South Wales. So all transformational stuff there again, it was about what's happening globally how do we bring into offering a solution and you know get the companies to adopt? So we are now into emerging tech, block cyber security, AI, ML, based development. So there's a team here, and that again, I mean, you know, a, a CTO team lead who know, and we have got a good rapport where I uh, say this is what the solution is, or you go and sort it out. They are able to operate on their own. Of course, we've been working on some regular steady clients over the last six, ten years, and also building on in that local government in the retail space and, and also across the supply chain procurement space, which is where so, the focus is all growing. And I just the customer base is all uh, the enterprise, SMEs and government, all. That is correct. That is correct. So that's, local that's, government, 
local government, state government. We've got the enterprise customers, the retail customers, but also large procurement companies as well. Okay, so not the SMEs where you started in the early stage. No, 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 no. From that, and that's again was a conscious decision where it's about that's again 80-20 rule. You know how spread you want to be, or you just want to focus on certain sector where you are able to build on, and then there is enough you know sustenance there so that you can drive growth as well. Because you've got to be spread thin. I mean, uh, managing a small company or large company, it's going to be similar kind of effort. So you might as well focus on building relationships and growing, you know, those those accounts uh, with those companies as well. So that's something which uh, happens with my technology uh, solutions company. And we are, uh, and again, we are aggregating. See, this is where, again, we can't be building everything from scratch. So we have got solutions from the US, from India, some solutions from India as well. We are aggregating and offering that to our clients here. And once you build that relationship, so that's really our like model as a really. SI plus an aggregator. So, on, and I'll just give a different twist on aggregation is collaboration is the, the mantra for yeah. succeeding. And you talked about collaboration in building career in corporate world as well. Same yeah. thing with entrepreneurship. If somebody says, oh, I'm the self-made and I'll do everything and da, da, da. It's too long a journey, too long and too slow a journey. Yeah. There's no competition in the world. It's all collaboration. Exactly. Synergies. I always yeah, say, that's the same. Yeah. I, I, I just want to look at synergies, how, how we can work. Yeah, I'm sure Perfect. there's something which I can add value, even if on a high level, it looks like competing agency. I mean, that's something which, again, into, uh, moving into my uh, innovation ecosystem. and that, That's where it'll enter. Uh, so enabler. Uh, that's where it'll enter. Irfan. So we'll just close with this. We use three words. It means the same. And the reason we have used three words and the reason we are talking the nth time is it's very important. So Thank collaboration, you. aggregation, and synergy. Yeah. And the, sa- the same, f- the, the principle is what you have, as you just said, you have uh, started in INQ, INQ, which is a startup incubator. Let's talk a little bit about it in terms of when that, that idea came in your mind. Like, yeah, I run a company and I'm pretty active in community, but I want to build an accelerator, an ecosystem where I can help a lot of uh, startups. What was the initial thought process like and when did it start? Sure. sure. So, I mean, as I, in fact, after account with uh, AMP, I wrapped up because I was, I had a great opportunity to grow our business and our consulting in the BI space, uh, and data warehousing BI space in the Middle East. So that was, again, another reckoning, another calling that came uh, with some major projects. We were coached by some senior uh, executives from Australian large financial services who, who moved to Middle East and to Dubai mm-hmm. and they kind of said, Irfan, come, let's transform this. So that kind of led me to Dubai extending our business and that whilst we've had a lot of family there, I never had done business in Dubai and I had never done, you know, service. I mean, we had the offshore development in India, but we never serviced or I never worked with other companies in India, so to speak, in, in terms of servicing them and all. But this, you know, move into Dubai, extending our concern. I was, was still in Australia, but I was uh, doing about six or seven trips uh, to Dubai, the easy flight that uh, Emirates has got and just uh, one sleep. That grew and being uh, in Dubai where it's like half of India and, you know, a quarter of that from Kerala where that's uh, our uh, hometown. Yeah. So it, it actually got me access and exposure to what was happening in India. And that, I'm talking about 2013, 2014 uh, period where the whole startup ecosystem was really taking off. And that's something which I'm passionately, you know, connected and I'm really drawn by is that that whole growth, this whole startup story, while I was exposed to this old startup innovation in 
Australia, but the real spark of that, I got to be part of this wave. I got to be doing something to support this ecosystem and also leverage this ecosystem. That came up during my stints to Dubai and India while I was there in Dubai. It was about three hours uh, flight, three, three and a half hours flight from uh, India. So I was frequenting India more than my regular, you know, once in a year family trip. And that really got me exposed to a lot of leaders. And one of the things which um, I would uh, recommend, I mean, again, share my experience. When I left AMP, I mean, obviously, because it was an organization, we were full-time, it was all uh, constrained within certain networks. But when I left AMP and I went to Dubai, I was interacting with, you know, CXOs across all industries, you know, chairmen, ministers, government agencies, you know, trade and investment um, people and all. This is something which if you are within an organization, you wouldn't have that exposure. So Absolutely. please try and step out of an organization and then build those networks. So the CEO, I was uh, probably having only once in a year chat. I was having more regular chat. You know, he mm-hmm. became my mentor as well, you know, going forward. So that's something, you know, once you step away and look at an ecosystem rather than just your company, that changes the game. And that's one one of my lessons learned as well. Well, I've got my technology company with InQ, uh, which is an innovation ecosystem. We, we are a global open innovation ecosystem. What does that uh, mean when you say open yeah, innovation? So we, yeah, so we obviously started off as an incubator and we had a co-working space here in Australia as well as in India. That was our initial business model. But we really wanted to you know take a step you know higher and become an ecosystem enabler where we had our incubator program we had our accelerator program but we are also offering targeted customized advisory services as well or investment cap raise services all those things so we essentially work with all broader ecosystems so from the leading atal innovation mission t hubs the v hubs the kela startup mission the karnataka startup ecosystem the nascom coes all these guys we are just collaborating, seeing where we can add value. And one of the niche areas we found uh, was that these early stage and even uh, late stage startups, they needed support to scaling up, you know, scaling up either within the country, you know, looking at that inflection point and growth or scaling to another country or another market. And that's where I saw a niche offering. And I started off, you know, while I was having my technology uh, gig, you know, consulting gig in Middle East and India, I started off as an investor because once you put money, you've got skin in the game and you become, a, and in fact, always I, I, I'm a strategic investor. I'm, I'm more engaged uh, in seeing how I can give, you know, more smart money. It's not just money, but money plus my network contacts, my advice and, you know, a vision, everything working to really empower the founder and the founding team to be successful. How can I augment that? Those are things which I brought in and, I started off investing uh, about four or five uh, entities in Middle East and India, and that really sparked off. And then I came to, uh, came, I mean, one of my trips to Australia back, and I met uh, my mentor, who was the former CEO, of, uh, who was also the chairman of one of the FinTech Accelerator here, which is one of the most successful in the world, uh, Stone & Chalk here in Australia. And I was involved as a scale-up advisor and, uh, you know, on supporting certain companies. And that really got me saying that there's a niche opportunity to support this broader ecosystem across Australia, India, and the fringe markets, which is the Singapore, Malaysia, as well as Middle East, to really provide that scale-up um, support. How can we, I mean, we were all wranglers anyway, I mean, you know, and hustlers to bring things happen together, but how can we have structured programs where companies can follow through and scale between these markets? And that uh, typical period between that two to five years of any startup 
that goes through lots of ups and downs. I mean, they are almost running out of their seed funding or they need to grow or they need to pivot because of opportunity or, you know, they need to acquire, you know, a bigger team, uh, evolve with their products. All those things can happen where the right networks, right support of, you know, whether it's a sales or distribution uh, network, investor network, and even any GAAP grants and all those kinds of things are critical. And how can you then support them across all these, uh, and again, being fit for purpose, every uh, company needs a different thing. And then we also, I was, you know, fortunate that I had certain investor, co-investor partners who were aligned saying that there is an opportunity here to provide the scale-up uh, advisory ecosystem. And that's when we launched Inq in 2017. And we've been part of the Sydney Startup Hub headquartered here in Sydney, but also with our presence, strong presence in India, Dubai, and Singapore. Uh, we've got our physical setups in Cochin, Bangalore, and uh, soon to be in Mumbai as well. So we've grown that upwards of uh, 80 plus startups. We have, you know, uh, invested and, uh, you know, actively engaged in 26 plus startups across these ecosystem, across various sectors. Our initial focus was fintechs. So, you know, that was where the, there was a lot of uh, things happening, but we've evolved into other sectors. Medtech med and health services is a huge area. And over COVID as well, we've evolved agri-tech, defense, aerospace tech, and also focused on social impact as well, which again got us to, aligning our startups to UNSDG goals. So that's another thing which I will cover that focusing on the strong purpose, driving any startup, you know, to have a strong purpose and alignment to UNSDG goals. That's been underpinning our programs. So we started when you off- say UNSDG goals, so there are 17 goals. So are you particularly aligned with uh, some of these goals or uh, anybody yeah, who comes so- in? So what we do is work with our startups, whether it's, you know, clean tech, circular economy, you know, healthcare tech, there are about two or three for each of those startups that you can align to. So we work with them and make sure either they're directly aligned or there is another, you know, a not-for-profit entity involved with that, which is aligned to uh, a purpose. So we believe in startups for purpose, and that's something which underpins all our programs. So obviously we ran our incubator, our accelerator program, you know, several cohorts, and over the last couple of years, we've been focusing on market access program where helping companies, you know, which are and the three validations, which are critical and which is something I often use uh, customer validation, which is again, paying customer client, but there's a market validation. It has to be a growing market. I mean, no point in building a startup, which is market is going down. And the third is investor validation, even early stage investors. There are people who have put their money in uh, having confidence. Those things we look for and we facilitate that as well. And we help that validation in the destination market as well. So that those are things as well we provide and also we co-invest. Our investment strategy, even with the first round of fund was more around aligning to matched funding. So whether there's a government grant or co-investment, we uh, join on board. We invest into stages. So from pre-series eight to beyond, we invest where it is towards an end of a round where there is a high growth uh, possibility for us and our investors. And also we work with you know various um, fund of funds as well. In India, the, the various ecosystems have got fund of fund concept where we invest and they match the government matches with 50% uh, equivalent, and that can be invested into that ecosystem at 50%. So something which is very unique, our intent is with whatever our investment we bring, it's a smart investment and creates double the impact, impact that we provide. That's so, awesome, Irfan. I think the amount of uh, detail you have shared in this whole uh, 10 minutes or so is uh, somebody will have to listen to it three, four times to really capture the essence. At high level, I understood uh, you had stacked up your assets so well that when you got into this accelerator mode, you didn't have to face a lot of problems. You had CEOs 
who were your mentors you were already talking to startups you were connected with the governments so you already had a very solid network plus you had created some cash flow for yourself that you could invest in so when you put the skin in the game people realize okay he's serious about it and then they take a step forward and you already had this entrepreneurial journey where you could show what all you had done so all of those things together is start a stack up if you were like brand new and you say i would start an accelerator i think nobody will listen to you true true and the way we structured as well and this is the one thing which i want to share as a founder of an organization people uh, tend to keep the equity very close to their chest i mean you know dilution of equity is sometimes very hard for founders to let it go from me you know my perspective equity has no value if there is no growth period i mean so mm. you were, for for me growth was important and for us to have growth i couldn't do by myself so i needed the right advisors mentors so we had structured in a way that even our infuse structure we've got about 12 to 15 advisors across various sectors and industry gov fund you know vc background where they can be called on and they got skin in the game even if it's a, a 1% vested equity mm, they got skin in the game in infuse and they know that if infuse grows their valuation also grows valuation and, i mean they they stay okay. grow so definitely i felt that way the other thing which again inspired by anali um, we ran some programs we got some amazing program for women entrepreneurs at inq supporting scaling supporting uh, women entrepreneurs from australia to scale it to india and indian women and uh, to uh, women entrepreneurs to scale it to australia so yeah, very powerful programs and also we ran a program for next gen startups which is like migrant led startups because we believe the second generation of you know migrants they are ready i mean they are not wanting to just have a corporate work career they are ready while they are doing their college or uni they are ready to have a startup idea to be nurtured and there are more startup friendly pathways you know the mvp grants to all the r and d rebates that you can have a parallel gig so this whole gig economy and which is aligned to this entrepreneurial ecosystem is available and we wanted to support so we ran this whole next gen startup program amazing stories of people from all multicultural background not only indian but multicultural background who are going through that entrepreneurial uh, you know, pathway and this women entrepreneurs program because i believe women entrepreneurs not only do amazing work in terms of focusing on the growth and the company roi definitely but also roti which is the return on time invest which is another key in lessons learned from me as well that it's not about roi only you tend to have a churn and invest your time that is got value so i've seen that the return on time invested uh, in women led startups has been phenomenal but also they carry through for a social impact so they create social impact and a social change as well and that needle shift as well so we awesome. supported these programs really well and, and and i'm glad that government is also recognized that both australia and india they are partnering with us on some of these amazing programs as part of this australia india startup awesome. innovation bridge that we have uh, that's awesome that's awesome i think i've got a lot from this inq journey which i was very keen to understand i also want to talk a little bit about the aibca that you are heading you as the president what's what's the core theme and core priorities uh, that you are running with in aibca great australian india business council obviously this again part of my startup innovation journey that led to me being connected with aibc i became the national chair for startup and innovation because that was my passionate area and i saw this whole australia india innovation bridge where there's a opportunity for startup and innovation ecosystem to connect and what i really believe and and, and continue to uh, foster 
is that sometimes when there is bilateral opportunities, the large companies take a lot more time naturally because for them to maneuver or test the market or do due diligence, there's a lot more time, effort, resources required. However, startups are you know very very vibrant. They and they they kind of are iterative. They 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 open for this pivoting and stuff. So they connect very well and they also engage in these opportunities much more uh, you know leaner, meaner, and also quicker. So I drove uh, and continue to drive that ecosystem connected, uh, you know, the, the the ecosystem level, the startup level, the investor level, and also the influencer level. That led me to AIBC. And I saw this is an organization which is 36 years old, one of the largest and the oldest organization um, in the bilateral space between Australia and India, driving business, trade and investment. And some amazing people have been set up by both the prime ministers, you know, way back uh, in the 80s and it continues to kind of foster that bilateral trade and investment we needed a thrust we needed more energy and 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 believe it or not this is one of the best times between australia and india ever in the last two to three years that we've got a comprehensive uh, strategic partnership in play we've got an early harvest agreement coming in and by end of the year they are hoping that there will be a free trade agreement equivalent a sika agreement which is going to transform the landscape between australia and india Australia India has always done, you know, trade uh, only at a very small level and more at the, you know, the resources level. I mean, India exports the most is technology, technology and Australia, resources. the resources and mining stuff. So mm. we have to go beyond that. We have the entire value chain where you can provide this value added services or products, not the ore, the finished product or close to finished product. That whole value chain, there's a lot of possibility. And this is where you know our neighboring country had done a lot in the last 15 years with Australia or others. So this is a unique opportunity presented for Indian companies and Australian companies to collaborate. Australia also needs to wake up. I mean, this is something I'm, I'm passionately saying. I'm an Australian, but Indian at heart. Uh, that Australia, Australian corporate and Australian companies to wake up, need to wake up and really seriously think about India as their strategic partner. That's like the blanket first uh, positioning. You've got to change mm. your narrative, your mindset, and then engage with companies where they can you know, get value out of and then deliver impact, not only for this bilateral India, but also for the rest of the market. So with that in mind, um, I became part of the core ARBC management team. And then I was unanimously uh, elected and you know nominated as the president for New South Wales at AIBC. And we've been championing this. I mean, I took on this role last year, about October. And our focus is to drive that you know, whole dialogue and the three A's that I uh, was sharing earlier as well, creating that continued awareness, consistent awareness at multi-levels, uh, then creating access to pathways. So that second A being the access to pathways where you know, uh, opportunities or you know, trade deals, all this facilitating that access. And third is to drive adoption, which is to show how it is done and how to handhold and getting that business to business outcome. And the other core theme which I've been driving is our diaspora has a great role to play. Mm. I mean, I'm one example, but there are hundreds of other people. And I, I hear some amazing stories of successful diaspora who've done business here as well as in India as well. So they know the dynamics here. So they need to play a, a core facilitator role, an advocate role, an ambassador role in making this you know, impact happen. So I strongly so how can this. How can somebody who's keen to play these roles be involved? So we have various initiative, sector-based initiatives and programs that we have where they can uh, be involved to be part of the working group, looking at what the opportunity is, one, driving these opportunities that they can facilitate, 
supporting some of the businesses who are looking to you know move so if there is a, someone specialized and done well in the agri or food sector they can look at these new companies who are interested like there is a lot of demand in the organic foods and these can guys can guide saying this is the way to you know export and also facilitate through all the biosecurity rules or epida which is another organization we work in uh, india the rules that uh, are performance required in india as well for you to be able to man- you know produce or uh, leverage all those things people have been there done that you just need to facilitate create a uh, temporized kind of framework and these people who have got the experience they can play a role in that and uh, you know hand holding other companies so that's where aibc will pro- provide a platform where some of these thought leaders um, in diaspora can leverage be part of it and then uh, deliver some of those uh, business to business impact and we believe in people to people relationship especially diaspora both here and india to deliver on the business to business impact and that's going to be a game changer that we believe uh, over the ne- next uh, couple of years that will be transformational and we want to drive and one more thing i want to this is my again strong cause and passion is typically when there is a bilateral opportunity only smle segment benefits that small medium and large scale more large scale enterprises but i've got a smiles framework which is s m i l e s where i for indigenous business i see a great opportunity for us to indian uh, businesses to leverage collaboration partnership with indigenous businesses who are looking to grow scale and they are looking to build beyond just having trade uh, trade people they want to be architects cfo directors of large companies so they are curating enterprises and when they are curating enterprises they need a strong supply chain they need strong resource skill base as well and that's where indian companies and indian uh, groups can help and we need to handhold them as well so i've definitely got the eye in the smiles uh, for indigenous and s at the end for startups every startups across all the sectors we want to support even early in the week we had a session at the budget india budget briefing session at the consulate where we had representation from large corporates smle segment but also indigenous and startups as well because this wave that we have between australia and india we want all of these sectors uh, to be also benefiting because that will help change the narrative and drive this uh, wave as well to create the impact that we are after absolutely so all through this conversation irfan not only i i felt i got a lot of value and i hope audience also understand or uh, pick up the value what i really enjoyed is the passion that you carry on all of those things uh, uh, that you are doing and right now the in in q and the aibca quite inspired by both the vision the cause like you talked about inq where you said you are aligned with the unsdg goal when you talked about aibca you kind of covered the whole spectrum like it's not just about enterprises it's the indigenous thing as well it is the small companies also so i'm quite quite uh, excited about the overarching vision that you have and the priorities that you have taken i'll definitely uh, be keen to get involved and a lot of other uh, you know australian and indians uh, uh, can get involved in this uh, really really exciting journey so thank you for coming on board irfan and is there anything it's in your mind which i did not ask which could add more value uh, in this conversation to the audience i mean uh, i'll just uh, i mean I, i love obviously linkages to indian movies and one of the recent references and this is our honorable trade minister in india he mentioned dil chahta hai that was an amazing movie that yep. we all you know when we moved to australia we loved that movie yeah. uh, and he used that terminology dil chahta hai and then i used the terminology dil se so i believe 
you know, we are passionate in, in heart as well that we aspire um, uh, to do more in this space. You know, Dil Chata, that we want to do more. So how do we then work it towards converting that intent uh, into action? All of us have a role to play. Even our, you know, all, all, all the leaders across Gov, uh, industry, business, all of us and community leaders, all of us have a role to play. And this role that we play and all of us as ambassadors uh, individually have a role to play. And what we uh, play in the next, you know, two to three years or the next five years is going to define, um, you know, how we shape this relationship between Australia and India, which is focused on outcome. There's already Kari Cricket and Commonwealth that beyond that, you know, to drive business outcome, you know, that will all be defined by all of us, what role we play. And I really call out on everyone to play their role and, uh, and believe that all of you have a genuine role to play as a diaspora, as a, someone who are aspiring for this great uh, Australia-India relationship to grow. Wonderful. So that's all I would say. And thank Wonderful. you for having me. And What's uh, the best? I hope uh, to really welcome uh, any of you having business idea, entrepreneurship thinking, any idea we will be happy to support, but also any ways you can help, you know, Australia-India bilateral business and uh, relationship dialogue. We'll be happy to, you know, engage with you and take Wonderful. it forward. Thank Wonderful. you. What's the best way to connect with you, Itfan, if somebody wants? Obviously, you know, through uh, the AIBC, if it is related to AIBC, definitely through AIBC, AIBC New South Wales president at AIBC.org.au, which is on the website, AIBC.org.au, or with InQ Innovation as well. You know, my uh, details are there. I'm happy to leave that with you, uh, which can be shared. And I'll uh, share that in short. Uh, my email address, you know, and then I'm good with WhatsApp as well. So definitely, you know, reach out to me uh, and then we can organize uh, to understand exactly where you uh, uh, are looking at and then, yeah, we can take it forward. Yeah. Awesome. Wonderful conversation, Infan. Really appreciate your time and sharing your journey, the insights, which was all there in your head. I wanted to get these insights for a long time, but anyway, finally, I can see it to, to, to a small extent, but I'm really Really happy that you came and shared your journey. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast with your host, Ehsan Ali. I learned heaps talking to Irfan today. When I think again about his journey, I see a common theme. Um, he always leaned into mentorship, he developed long-term relationship, and he always looked for synergy and collaboration. Let me know what you learned from Infan's corporate and entrepreneurial journey. If you are someone at a career crossroad or feeling stuck, connect me on LinkedIn and ask for my free 60 Minutes Career Growth Workshop. That's all for now. Until next week.